Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM KBLU. I'm attorney Adam Hanson, and I've got the one and only Mr. Attorney Sean Garner with me again today. Last week, and we've, we talked about uh, the upcoming senator race here in Arizona this coming fall, and so we're going to continue on that tangent, and we're going to get into the uh, gubernatorial races that are coming up in this fall as well. Uh, we thought it would be prudent to do so, so that you as a voter here in Yuma County will know a little bit of, of the candidate choices that you have, and you can make an informed decision. But like we always say, don't take our word for anything. We want you to go out and, and do your own research. Sean and I have done a little bit of research on the candidates, and, and uh, we'll present a little bit of what we believe to be their strong points and their weaknesses and things like that, and we'll we'll go into what we think will happen. I I uh, like I was telling Sean before we started this show. I if we're gonna put our money on somebody in the Republican space in the Republican primary, um, I we've got two front runners. There's actually four candidates in the Republican gubernatorial race, but uh, of the four, only two are really in it because the other two are more like down at the way bottom. They're not, they're, they don't have a significant polling um, data to support them actually winning the nomination for the Republican Party to then go against uh, like a Katie Hobbs from the De- Democratic Party or or the Democrat Party or the, uh, Cody, do you remember who the other Democrat is running in that space? I don't even know. I am so bad on this. I, it's no. Carrie Hobbs uh, and Katie Hobbs. Mark, Katie Hobbs. She's sorry, a current. Katie Hobbs uh, and Marco what is she? Lo- Lopez is the other. Why? Why do you know Katie Hobbs' name? Secretary of State, right? She's a Secretary of State. Yeah. So, because of all of the election fraud allegations, Katie Hobbs is at the forefront of that, along with uh, what is it, Fontes or Fuentes, something from from Phoenix. Right, the uh, Maricopa County Maricopa recorder. County uh, recorder. Yeah, it? I think he was the recorder back then. Yeah, both, and he's he's a Democrat as well. And so, Kitty Hobbs, you know these names because Kitty Hobbs is the Secretary of State, and so she was in charge of validating votes and things like that, and, and pr- really pursuing um, any election t- integrity type issues. And she did not. In fact, there was a big fight between Kitty Hobbs as the Secretary of State and the Republican-governed Senate uh, this last election cycle. So you had, um, oh, man, what's her name? Is it Fan? Uh, uh, Karen, not Karen. Um, Katie Fan? Yeah, we're talking about out of Prescott, the uh, president, a, president she's of the, the Senate. Yeah, she's the president of the Arizona Senate. Well, it was, it was if you remember correctly, the, in the headlines you'd always see Fan versus um, Hobbs. And that the reason why is because the Senate was actively going after the Secretary of State and alleging that she wasn't doing enough to pursue allegations of election fraud. And so that's been going on since 2020. Yeah, Karen Fan. Karen Fan. Yeah. And if you listen to Karen, I, I really like her. She she reminds me a lot of um, Blackburn uh, in the in the Senate. The United States Senate, the way that she talks and her almost like motherly, grandmotherly type of, of speaking. And I, it's like she speaks and you agree with her just because you're like, okay, mom, kind of thing. And not in a bad way. That probably came out really bad. No. But uh, that's the way I feel. I, I think Karen Fan is kind of the same way. She's pretty, pretty um, good when it comes to public speaking and pretty common sense. And so it just makes sense when she says a lot of things. And, and she went to battle with Katie Hobbs. So, 
long story short, Katie Hobbs is now running for governor in, in Arizona on the Democrat ticket. Okay. And, um, and what that means is that she's actually the front runner right now in that space. I think she's raised the last numbers I saw. I think she's raised something like three and a half million dollars to go towards her race. And I think she spent maybe half of that on her race so far. I, I didn't look at where the sources of the money came from. But um, when you go over to the Republican side, you've got Carrie Lake, who is one of the front runners, along with uh, Karen Taylor Robeson. I think she goes by Taylor because as I watched some YouTube videos of interviews of her, she they refer to her as Taylor. Um, but on the ballot, it'll be Karen Taylor. So um, just look for that if that's who you're going to choose uh, for your pick uh, in this in this governor race. Sean? Yeah, I like both candidates. Um like you say, it's it's a two horse race at this point. It's uh, you know, you got Carrie Lake and then you got Karen uh, Taylor Robson, and I think that they could both represent the state pretty well. Um, they could govern solidly on the key issues. They both have similar stances on uh, border. They want to build the border wall. They want to do whatever's necessary to. Um, take the steel that's already there and erect it and make sure that we have a secure border. I think that's great. They're, they're very strong on um, ideas of um, the Second Amendment and pro-life. They, they, if you watch their debate, um, they'll go back and forth that each accuse the other of not being strong enough on pro-life. <laughs> but uh, Carrie Lake, she says, uh, life starts at conception, period. Life starts at conception. However, when pressed, if she would support a bill that uh, no abortion could be performed without uh, exigent circumstances after conception, uh, she wasn't as clear on that answer. Is that right? Right. I didn't see that. I didn't see that particular debate you're talking about. But um, uh, getting to that issue, I did see one where Taylor Ropes and she was she was uh, being interviewed by I think it was a. Channel 12 news reporter, and he had some pretty heavy-hitting questions for her, and she took them really well. One of those questions is the one that you're talking about. He asked her, he said, the current law in Arizona is such that a woman, if her life is not in danger, that's the only exception um, to the, to the uh, abortion issue. And so this question that was posed by the Channel 12 news reporter was something like, well, would you support, if you were governor in Arizona, this is Taylor Robeson, he was asking, he asked her point blank, would you support a bill that would put in place other exceptions such as incest or rape? And she said, yes, unequivocally, I would support that bill. I would, as a governor, that's what I'd want to see put into our laws. And I think, Sean, when I, when I watched that, and I, I don't know where you are on this. I, I think you're the same way. I would, I would agree with that. I think there needs to be exceptions, not just for the life of the mother, but for other cases of maybe rape or incest um, when it comes to the abortion issue. Yeah, I, I agree, too. You know, there's always going to be exceptions. And I think that the fact that it, it's getting so entangled in the law it, is sad because this there is a health issue component, but... Uh, the fact that having a late-term abortion is termed to be a, a health care decision, that, that, that's not really true anymore. The health care decision comes up front. The health care decision comes when you decide how many sexual partners you're going to engage in you know, act, sexual activity with and 
um, the other issues of whether you're going to make good moral life decisions. Those are the health issues. Later on, it's, it's consequence elimination. And, and, and that's essentially what abortion is, especially late-term abortion. It's, well, let's see, what are the consequences if I carry on with the outcomes of my life decisions? Can I cancel out those consequences? And if so, let's do it, regardless of the moral issue that a human life is at jeopardy here. And so what I hear you say is the the, uh, debate that you saw between Carrie Lake and Taylor Robeson was such that Carrie kind of, she danced around the issue or the question. She didn't didn't come out and say, I, I, I would support additional exceptions to what our current Arizona law is the the only exception being right now, the life of the mother is jeopardized. Therefore, an abortion could be done. She didn't say specifically that uh, after conception, any abortion would be illegal. She uh, floated the idea that a 15-week ban on abortion would be something that she could get behind. And that's a pretty popular um, position for a lot of conservative states that there is a, a certain time that it can be determined that the pregnancy has, you know, there's been a conception, and, and then six weeks is, is a bit short. You know, you may not know that you've conceived um, for six weeks or eight weeks, and so if a mother wanted to terminate her pregnancy prior to that, then um, she wouldn't even know until after the, the deadline had passed. Um, my view is kind of an old-school view, and, and that is, you know, the shotgun wedding view. <laughs> and that, so, you know, two young kids get together in the backseat of the car and, you know, girl ends up pregnant. They need to both do the responsible thing. Now, whether that means getting married or not, that's a different debate. But carrying on of the pregnancy and giving life to the child that's been conceived, my view is that that's the right thing to do. I don't think there are choices on the table anymore. The choice was before you got in the backseat of the car. So um, I'm very conservative on that. I would prefer somebody else that would be conservative like that as the governor because there are always going to be the other side that's going to be fighting very adamantly for um, abortion rights per se all the way up until um, the date of birth. And I think that's wrong. And so from a lawyer's point of view, if you don't advocate 100% for what you believe is morally right, instead of trying to take the middle ground, you're going to lose the middle ground because they keep pushing the issue farther, farther left. And so then the middle becomes farther and farther left. So I think we've got to push for uh, complete moral integrity and complete responsibility for the actions that you take. And uh, that means make good decisions before conception. And once conception occurs, understand that there are good consequences and bad consequences depending on where you stand on having a child. You're and you, Sean, you're you're a parent to six kids. So in the parent space we would call this natural consequences. You allow the it might be a, a bad consequence from a the action of a child, right? And you and I have to live this every day where it's very easy and sometimes very tempting for you, for us as parents to step in and to shield that child from a natural consequence that will come because of a bad decision. But a really good parent will allow for that bad thing to happen to that child, you know, save death or uh, extreme bodily injury or something like that. What I'm talking about is the little stuff. The, the kid takes a candy bar from Walmart 
and doesn't tell you till you get home. You put them back in the car, you take them back to Walmart, you give the candy bar back, you make them accountable for that. Um, that that's a natural consequence, right? right? Other than shoving it under the rug. So when I say natural consequences and allowing them as a parent to fail, now is the time to do that, in my opinion. Now is the time to allow them to fail, whether it's in school, um, on an assignment, things like that, that really those can be overcome rather than allowing them to make these big failures after they turn 18 and now they're into the real world and now it's a real big deal when they have a, a failure or they, they mess up. We want those mess-ups to happen prior to them becoming an adult and uh, hopefully not being subject to the criminal penal code in Arizona um, for doing bad things. We want them to get that out of their system ahead of time and allow them to naturally uh, reap the consequences of their particular choices. So that whole tangent is to say, that's what I hear you to say when it comes to abortion in your mind, uh, Sean, in, in, in the sense that if a person engages in activity that's going to produce a, a human being, a child, um, then they need to own up to that. And that's the natural consequence of that choice. And that, that, that has been the consequence for the history of humankind, right? And now we're looking at it as if this was something, well, we can turn on and off the consequences. And that's that just isn't the case. And when you when you go down that slippery slope, I think you start to justify a lot of immoral actions and say, well, we get a pass on this one. You don't. You don't get a pass. You get to make choices, and you get to live with those choices. And it, it seems strange to think about living with that choice as a bad thing when we're talking about a child being involved here, especially because a child's life, how much impact it can have, not only on that child and, and, and the 80, 90 years that, that they may live, but the society around them and how many people that they can influence for the good. And that's what the purpose of this earth was created for. I'm, I'm a big believer of that. It's for human life, for us to participate in this human um, experiment or experience, sorry, <laughs> experiment, experience here on earth. And uh, if you start fiddling with that, I mean, we really are playing God in a bad way, and that is terminating life prematurely. And I, I, I think that there's some major judgment to be had for that. We got to go to break. This is Life, Death, and Law, 560 AM KBLU. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. 
You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM KBLU. I'm attorney Adam Hanson. I'm with uh, attorney Sean Garner. Welcome back to our show. Before we get too far into this, I just want to remind you that are listening that uh, if you haven't already taken a step to get your affairs in order, come see us. See myself or see Sean. Come into our office. Um, give us a call. We can sit down and we can help you put things in order so that if something were to happen to you, your loved ones or those that you care about can take over and make sure that you're taken care of if you're still alive but incapacitated, let's say, or if you pass away, we want to make sure that the transition from um, your life to your death is speaking financially and, and from the healthcare point of view, seamless so that your loved ones don't have to go through court action or go through this emotional turmoil that comes with changing title, for example, from the house and the car and the, the bank accounts over to those that you wanted to go to. That's what we do day in, day out. And we've done it many, many times for many, many families here, um, not only in Arizona, but, uh, but throughout the United States. And so we can help you. If you've already got something in place and it's been a little bit of, of time since you put that in place, what we like to do is give you a free review of that planning that you already have in place. So give us a call at 928-783-4575 and sit down with us. Uh, it'll take about an hour, hour and a half to go through your particular family needs and what your goals are, and we can actually walk through a plan that will be right for you and your family so you don't have to worry anymore. If something were to happen to you, everything's taken care of. Everything's under control. Getting back to what we were talking about before the break, we, last week we went into the senator, the U.S. senator race in Arizona and the candidates, and we talked a little bit about them. Today we're talking about the governor race here in Arizona, and we've got two candidates on the Democrat ticket Katie Hobbs, who's our current Secretary of State, and then we have Marco Lopez. On the, um, on the Republican ticket, we're really only addressing two candidates because he, uh, there, there's four in total, but the other two are really at the very bottom. They're not, realistically, they're not going to win the uh, primary in the Republican, on the Republican ticket, so we're not even going to talk about them because it's a waste of our time and yours. So I hate to say it that way, but that, that we're blunt, okay? We're not going to... Uh, pussyfoot or uh, beat around the bush. So we've got Carrie Lake on the Republican side, and we've got uh, uh, Karen Taylor Robeson. I think, and and Cody, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, we went back and forth on this. I think Karen Taylor Robeson actually goes by Taylor Robeson. Um, I've seen her go by that in like interviews and things like that, but her actual name is Karen Taylor Robeson. And um, so if you're going to vote for her, just look for Karen on, on, the, uh, on, her, on the ticket. Uh, don't look just for Taylor. You might miss her name. So we've been talking about Carrie Lake and, and Karen Taylor Robeson and their views on abortion. And Sean, you you gave us your idea or your your um, your feelings on abortion here in the state of Arizona and what you feel like um, should happen. And and I my understanding was you you feel like if a, if a woman makes that choice to go that that far in a relationship such that now there is going to be a pregnancy that she needs to carry through with that decision, that it's already too late from the time um, that that child is conceived to say, oops, I want to do over. I want to mulligan on this one, unless there's some certain exceptions to that. It was what I hear you to say, you know, if, if her life is in danger, which has always been a standing rule and exception in the United States of America and almost, if not all states, all 50 states have that exception. In Arizona, we're unique 
in the sense that we don't have an additional exception for rape or incest, which is very common in other states. And so we this came up because of an interview that you saw with Carrie Lake where she kind of didn't give it an exact answer as to whether or not she would support as governor a legislation that would put in place exceptions for both rape and incest when it comes to abortion. Um, I know that Robeson has... Uh, Taylor Robeson has said unequivocally that, yes, she would want to make those exceptions um, put forward in our Arizona statutes. So just a little background on on Robeson. She is an attorney. She's been an Arizona attorney for many, many years. In fact, she is very good at water law. And that might not sound very exciting to you that are listening, but water law in Arizona is kind of like our holy grail. We have many neighboring states, Nevada, California, New Mexico, that are clamoring, and even countries, Mexico, are clamoring for our water. But for really smart people back in the 60s and 70s that lobbied for certain uh, water rights for the state of Arizona, we would be bleeding water to these states and and this country, uh, to Mexico, because of the protections we have in Arizona, because of those policies that were put in place back in the 60s and 70s in front of the U.S. Congress, we are protected right now, but that's not always the case. There are constant fighters out there that are trying to get access to our water and take it from us. We are currently experiencing a drought here in Arizona and our neighboring states. And so water is like gold when it comes to living. You have to have water. You have to have food to live. Our water in Arizona is very, very precious, not only for us, but for our neighboring states. So when you have a Taylor Robeson on the ticket for governor, my first, my, my receptors go up. Is this a person that I can trust in this realm of fighting for our water rights and continuing to protect them? And I, I believe that we can. She was a really good uh, real estate developer. So she helped develop huge communities and developments in the, in the um, Santan Valley, in the Maricopa County. Um, and throughout the state of Arizona. And doing that, she was also drafting water-type um, contracts between the parties and making sure that the water's all, all used appropriately and not, not given out to other people that shouldn't be using it or, or they're getting away with using it without paying us proper recompense. So a Taylor Robeson in this space as governor, I know she, well, I don't know it, but I, I have a strong feeling that she would continue that track record of fighting for our water rights and securing them. And if we're going to give water to other people, we're going to make sure that they pay a premium for that water because it's taking it away from us that we really, we desperately need it for our farmers, for our, our daily life and our living. And so, yeah, we can share our water, but we're going to do that at a hefty premium, knowing that it, it does extract a price. Cody, what do you have to say on this? So, I mean, I just want to say, uh, as we, we look into these candidates, and, and as we should always do our own due diligence, um, I want to see who she represented for water and make sure it wasn't against Yuma County. Because Yuma County's biggest problem is we have too much, and everybody else is looking at us. Um, our water is our water. And, and what was the famous um, saying, you know, water is... Whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting. So I guess what I'm saying is I want to make sure she doesn't have any ties to any big Maricopa County, you know, developments or, or people looking for Yuma County water. Why would that sway your vote, though, for her? Just because, because you feel I, like I don't she's want, a backstabber? No, I don't want anybody that um, is tied to, let's say, let's say they have somebody else that they, they've um, 
represented in the past or they see their way. You know, because there there was a a um, issue not too long ago where they were looking at Yuma County Water. Hey, you guys uh, aren't using it. We can sure use it up here. How about you give us some of it? How about you sell us some of it? Well, once we sell it, we'll never get it back. So I guess what I'm saying is maybe I would want somebody who's more ignorant. <laughs> you know, no, I hear you. I get versus somebody that represents people trying to take Yuma County Water. And you know? so I hear you to say something more like, uh, you're worried that. Robeson, because she knows this space so well, this is her forte, let's say, of, of water law in Arizona, that she has a sophisticated knowledge of it such that she could say, you know what, it's kind of like the democratic uh, perspective on things. Let's rob from the rich and give to the poor. In other words, we're going to reallocate the water wealth along, uh, uh, among Arizonans. So yeah, we'll take some from Yuma. They got way too much anyway. <clears throat> because I say so as governor. So let's go ahead and grab that and let's take it over to Yavapai or let's take it over to Cochise Maricopa, County yeah. or Maricopa County where but, we need it the most because there's the most uh, populated county in Arizona. And, and I don't say that, that she's going to do that and I, I need to research it because I'm just saying this stuff out here um, as we talk about it. But, but that's, that's, a, that's, a legitimate, that's a legitimate fear. Yeah, so, so my thought is it's not so much her making decisions but maybe she put somebody in place. Maybe she put somebody on a board or in a position that is more favorable to a county outside of Yuma. So I'm, I'm just thinking, hey, let's look for protecting Yuma County's water, if, if that's what we're talking about there. It's really interesting as you say that. It's, it's funny because on the national level, we, we talk about, well, states need to have rights, and we're different than other states. You know, Arizona's interests are different than California's interests, interests for example. And therefore, we need to really have a voice. And that's what really came forward when the uh, Dobbs decision was, was levied by the Supreme Court. And the argument was, give the power back to the states, the sovereignty back to the states, so they can decide in their particular forum as to how they're going to address the abortion issue. And that was really how the founders intended our union to work. They wanted, and it, this is how it was before, I mean, when everything was being developed for our country— during the, the uh, 1750s, 1760s, uh, the 1770s, these discussions were being had among the 13 colonies, and they did not agree by any means, but they agreed enough on the Declaration of Independence that we needed to break off from the crown, and ultimately, they agreed on a, a constitution, a national constitution in such they, they uh, dedicated their time and their effort to protecting the rights of the different colonies, or in, at that time, it became the states, because they recognized that Louisiana or or a a uh, New York's uh, or a uh, you know Massachusetts, each one of those states at the time had different interests, and they didn't want Massachusetts to dictate to, uh, let's say Georgia, Georgia, yeah. or yeah, uh, about how they were going to run their state. So this has always been at the forefront of our nation. But even when we get into the state side, going back to your water argument, you know, is Robeson going to be for an equity-based water system in Arizona? I don't know. You don't know, I but don't know. that is a legitimate question, meaning is she going to get in there because she knows it so well, better than most of us, I would argue probably all of us as voters, because this is what she does as, a, as an attorney in the water law uh, space here in Arizona. Would she be someone that says, you know what, Yuma, you have too much water. You have a surplus. Let's get that over to Maricopa County. Let's get it up to Yavapai. Let's get it over to Cochise County or Pima. Uh, is she, is she going to do that because she understands how to do it? And 
essentially rob Yuma County of our surplus of water? Or are we going to have a, a, a person that, because she understands it so well, she's not going to do that and she's going to protect Yuma County's water for Yuma County? And I gave that analogy of the states because when you get to the st- state of Arizona, within the state of Arizona, you have counties that are different as well. Maricopa County's makeup is completely different than Yuma County's. We would can be considered rural, right? And so our needs are m- much more based on agriculture and government spending in the uh, in the realm of. Well, I mean, what, our our needs are really based on, on, like you said, agriculture development of uh, getting that, those crops out of the ground. There's a million acres of ag between us and you know Imperial County in Mexico. There, so yeah, that ag is a huge thing here, but also government um, jobs. And that's what I was getting to is the MCAS. You've got um, YPG. So the government jobs here in, in Yuma are such a huge catalyst for economy and driving our economy. It's the second largest. I mean, government is the second largest employer outside of agriculture. So we've got agriculture, number one, and then, and then we've got the government, number two, whether that's on the local level or it's on the federal level. Usually it's in the Border Patrol sector or it's in the uh, Department of Defense sector or in the actual um, defense sector, meaning in, in, uh, in the Marine Base or YPG. Oh, like contractors and things? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so we have professionals coming from all over the country and all over the world, really, to be involved in this. And, and they put their, their money into our local economy. So we are very unique in comparison to Yavapai County, which I would argue has more of a tribal influence, right? So they're going to be focused on... Um, uh, not only the river, but they're going to be focused on on profits that can come through casinos and other gaming type type activities. So their needs are different in Yavapai County, or even uh, the river up up north. You've got uh, Parker, you've got um, Lake Havasu, yeah. which are very very similar in demographics to Yuma. However, there's no military bases to the extent there are, but not as large as MCAS or as big as YPG. And so their needs are going to be different. That's a great example because at one point, you know, La Paz County was Yuma County. I mean, what, is it 1980 or 82 that broke off and that actually became a separate county? But there was a point where we were all one. And yeah, at some point they said, look, this doesn't make sense. Yuma has its own issues and, and we're up here. We are not the same. So what does this have to do with our Constitution and the states? Because I want you to think of it on a micro level. A micro level being within the state of Arizona, we've got counties that act like states within, within our Arizona boundaries. And those, each one of those counties has its own interests, just like Florida has different interests and Arizona has, has different interests. Georgia, you know, you got Texas has their own thing. California has its own uh, sources of revenue and interests. So I want you to think of Arizona on a micro scale. When it comes to counties, that's how we act as well. So when it comes to a governor, do we have a governor on the ticket that can deal with each one of these interests uniquely uh, with the mining development over in, in uh, Cochise County? You've got Marinci, Bisbee, um, Duncan, uh, all these historic, what I would say are cowboy cities or towns but they have been heavily involved in mining over the last century. Tombstone. Tombstone. It's you know? almost gone. It's it's drying up. But it's there because of the mine. Uh, yeah, and the yeah. railroad. So we have old cities on the on the uh, fringes there in the in the south. You've got the tribal type influences on the north, 
side of things, you know, up in, like you mentioned, La Paz County, you've got uh, up in the north side, uh, north. Oh, Coconino. Coconino and, County, yeah. yeah, east of, um, of Flagstaff. You've got the tribal influences up there. You've yeah. got the center with the mountains and the Alpine and, and uh, St. John's and, and Prescott area where we all want to be during the summer. So every county is unique because of the unique landscape of Arizona, and it's really gorgeous to think of it that way. But they all have their own interests. And are we going to have a governor on our ticket that can deal with all that in a way that can get things done um, as far as agreements between counties? That's really their job. And I don't want to see a governor that comes into Yuma and says, you know, I know better than Yuma. Even though you've been doing it like this for over a century, I know better than you. And it's time that you share your water or it's time that you give some of your resources to Maricopa that doesn't have as much agriculture here or it doesn't have as much water or it doesn't have as much in the uh, military sector. And so we're going to start pulling things over here and, and really spreading the wealth. That's what I don't want to see. I want to see a governor that respects the county lines and allows for those counties to dictate themselves such that they can really flourish under a guise of freedom that they can put in these regulations or take out regulations and allow for the freedom of commerce to go um, the best that it can. I think that's what a governor needs to do. And they do that by really encouraging it and making agreements where agreements need to be made across state lines and also for a state as a whole, implementing executive policies that will allow for the freedom of, of uh, commerce to flow, not only between the counties, but from state to state as well. We got to go to break. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM KBLU. We'll be right back. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life Within the Law. I'm Attorney Adam Hansen, 560 AM KBLU, and uh, we've been talking a lot of, a lot today about the upcoming gubernatorial race here in Arizona. Governor Ducey was first elected in 2014 as governor of Arizona. He was subsequently reelected. He has termed out, so it's not that he's like dying or something like that, or or that. Uh, we just know that he's going to leave. We know he's going to leave just because he's termed out. You can't serve more than he's already served as a governor in Arizona, and so he cannot run again. This is those term limits everybody's talking about. This is what you get. This is what you get. What do you? You made it sound like a derogatory thing. No, I mean, but you have a guy, a guy that's experienced. I mean, he certainly is seasoned. He knows what he's doing now, and he has to leave. So <laughs> this is the the consequence of term limits. I mean, he served two terms. And maybe it's a good thing, but it's what's happening. I like the way you phrase that. Uh, is very political of you, or democratic of you, shall oh. I say? <laughs> you didn't. You didn't come down on a stance either way on term limits. I <clears throat> I agree is. with term limits. I think uh, career politicians. I, I like the way that you said that in the sense that you're exactly right. And he now he's kind of he's hit the ground. He he he's hit his stride. So it makes sense. It would make sense in, in like the private sector. Okay, let's give this guy a, a couple more years. But um, I I think I think after eight years, let's see what else we can do, right? Because also, I love Governor Ducey and what he's done over time. He's been very, very good about uh, bringing people together. And 
I don't feel like he has been such a firebrand like uh, DeSantis or um, Governor Abbott in Texas that it, he's not making headlines every day because he's saying this, that, or the other. But quietly behind the scenes, he is doing things. I would like to see him do a little bit more like those governors were doing uh, in their conservative policies. But he really understands, I think, personally, I feel like he understands that he he has to represent his constituents in Arizona. And he recognizes that it's not, it's not as red as um, maybe a Texas or a Florida, that there is, it's more purple. We, and, we are purple. We, and so he wants to not, I don't want to use the word cater, but he wants to be. You have to represent everybody. He wants to be more towards the, the middle. So I can see what he's doing. He, he does that pretty well. What I don't agree with him on, and I said this last show, was when the pandemic originally happened in March of 2020, I did not like the executive orders under emergency powers of the governor to lock us down. I felt like that was unconstitutional and a, a complete overreach. I'm sorry. I think that was par for the course with every other governor. The thing I didn't like is losing in court and then challenging it, taking the appeal. For like gyms, let's say, or yeah. dentists that were, they were forced to shut down. And that was uh, sad for me to see. And I'm thinking, Doug, you know better than that. You were a small business owner. You sold that business for a lot of money. And uh, you run on business, business, business. I mean, that's what your platform is. And then you come and you shut down businesses because of a pandemic. And then it, a judge rules for those businesses. And then you you oppose that. You go to the appeal process. You had your out. Exactly. You know? That I did not like. Um, and But that's under the bridge. Water under the bridge. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, uh, okay, so I said that because of term limits. Yeah, we okay, talked yeah. about term limits. So we know what, we, we now know probably what a, a Doug Ducey would do um, in that type of situation. Maybe he's learned from that and would do it differently if he were to go back. Who knows? But we, now we know. We, we can kind of predict how he's going to govern. And so I think at this particular time, you know, after he's termed out, it's good to have a term limit in the sense that we know how he would do it and we're ready for a different style. Maybe somebody's going to come in and, and learn from his mistakes and do it differently. I, I think you're right because the uh, the Doug Ducey that, that I knew when he was treasurer, you know, would not have done that. I think the Doug Ducey now that's been governor, I mean, he's been in politics 12 years now. So I think he's more up for taking the side of big government. Worse, whereas when he was a treasurer, he was just fresh. And uh, he was a small business guy back then. I mean, I think that was a different one. I think you're, I think you're right, Adam. He, after a while, they get seasoned, and you kind of see what you're dealing with. I, I'm going to say something that my wife always says to me. This has changed you. No, just kidding. She doesn't say that. <laughs> Government changes you. It does. So I think, I think that's what happened. I think that happens. I think it's very, very difficult to not allow it to happen. You have to play that game. It's just inevitable when you're putting into a public office like that. You have to play the game or you will be out of the game. And you you have to play both sides. I'm, I'm, do you have to? No. But um, I think that's what people, they, be, they, they think. They have that mindset. And so I think term limits are fantastic in the sense that it doesn't allow for that career politician to just sit there and rule like a dictator. And uh, we allow for new ideas to come in, new fresh ideas, new personality to come in and change and that's good i mean i think i think you're right because it'd be very hard for somebody to take on an incumbent that's been in there for two terms already you know so for these up-and-comers even us be discussing them uh would be very challenging 
in that environment if they had somebody that was just four terms, five terms, you know what I mean? Uh, they would have obviously he'd have all the political, you know, backing behind him. He'd have all the pack money behind him. So it does give a nice equal reset. I, I've been on the fence on term limits, but I see I see the point. I guess my thing with term limits is look at what's happening in Washington. You basically have the Obama administration point two, you know, two point So you could have term term limits in place, but those people running the show behind the scenes, and we all know Joe Biden is not running the show. <laughs> those people running the show have already been doing this for eight years, you know, so there are no term limits on the staff and that's, and you can't, you know, that's, that's so hard to do. I agree with that. I think term limits and lesser pay. I had this discussion not too long ago with my sister-in-law and she was kind of appalled. Uh, They live in California. And so the cost of living there is quite expensive, obviously. And when we looked at, we Googled, you know, what's the, what, what is the, the, um, the pay for a U.S. Senator or for a Speaker of the House like Nancy Pelosi. And obviously that's going to be a lot more than your typical run-of-the-mill representative from your state. However, I, I argued, well, what, like, why do they need to be paid? In theory, in theory, they should be earning their own wage somewhere else. They should have a job, and this is something on the side. Yeah, insider trading. And that's how it used to be. That's exactly how our nation was set up. The founders and, and the people that were initially in Congress... They got very little, very little for this public service. But what's happened now is you get elected to public service and you get you get exempted from all the things that we have to be, you know, subject to, like Obamacare, for example. You have this um, this pension for life. You have all these benefits that just get solidified. If you become a U.S. senator, you got it made. You have dozens of staff members. You'll never have to get your own coffee again. That's right. You know, and, and so. I feel like I shouldn't be paying for that. Nobody does that for me. I don't want to drive myself anymore. I have a staff member do it now. Uh, that's that's my goal in life is to become a U.S. senator so that I can have the ultimate posh life and not have to do anything. I don't think it's going to be around like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hopefully, the, the, there's going to be you know uh, some change to that system. They go, this can't, this isn't sustainable. It, you know? It's never going to change. Why? Because they have to vote on yeah. the people that we're asking to change it. Have to vote on that change. We have to say, you know what? We really think you guys should not be paid as much. Oh yeah, let's pass that through the Congress. See if that works. That's never going to work. All they do is continually, continually add to their their salaries they keep asking for more money more money you know what why don't you get an, your own job and do this on the side like it's supposed to be and then you wouldn't be so tied to the money and this career in the senate or the house uh, and i think that's really the the motivation of, of a lot of these politicians once they get a taste of it they get elected and they see how posh this life is and that really i can keep this going all i got to do is get reelected and reelected and reelected then it becomes, uh, in my mind, a cancer because <clears throat> now they're going to cater to those individuals or those lobbyists that are going to get them reelected. They have the biggest purse, and they might not even agree wholeheartedly with what they're proposing, but now they've got the money to back the, the reelection scheme, so it, it becomes very nasty very quickly. We could address that with term limits. Wow. You can't serve more than this amount of time, and by the way, you only get $30,000 a year. So good luck on $30,000 a year. You're probably going to have to find a second job. Adam just convinced me on term limits. Wow. Yeah. That's great because uh, I was just rambling. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it, it does make a lot of sense. And, and what we're dealing with in the state is a perfect example of that is, yeah, we have a young governor. and I, I mean young. He's not 
80. You know, he, he could certainly run again, but this does clear the path for two up-and-comers. Uh, and I just say what everybody we're, we're really talking about is female, too. Yeah, exactly you know? right. So on the Republican side, you've got Carrie Lake. The front runners are Carrie yeah. Lake and uh, Karen Taylor Robson, Robson. And then on the on the Democrat ticket, you've got Katie Hobbs. Really, she's a legitimate. She's really going to win that nomination. I don't think they're the the next person on the list is Marco Lopez, but he I, he doesn't have as much money as Katie. He doesn't have the backing of Katie uh, as Katie has it, like with the Democrat Party and things like that. So realistically. He's not going to win. It's going to be Katie Hobbs versus either Carrie Lake or uh, Karen Taylor Robeson. So uh, we'll talk to you about this uh, next week. We've got more races coming up that we need to talk about. We talked a lot about the governor race today, but we'll talk about other races that are happening in the state of Arizona coming this fall. And uh, until then, this has been another episode of Life, Death, and Law, 560 AM KBLU. Be good. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.